Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, February 27th. Canada is facing criticism from NATO and allies regarding our defense spending or lack thereof. What needs to be done to address the issue? We discuss with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Next, what sort of an impact could access to free prescription contraception have on our health care system? And why is it a crucial component of a proposed national pharmacare program? We get the thoughts of Melina Albanese, who is a PhD candidate in epidemiology at the Dalalana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. And finally, Canadians now have fewer options for cheap flights as Lynx Airlines has been permanently grounded. We discuss just what this means for the Canadian aviation industry and for budget-conscious travellers with the travel lady, Leslie Cater. NATO wants Canada to step up defence spending to meet the NATO target. How far off the mark are we and what is Canada's commitments to NATO? Joining us to discuss is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Happy Tuesday to you, Mercedes. Hey, happy Tuesday. How are you guys? Good, good. Uh, thank you for taking the time. I, I don't think it's it's new. Canada facing criticism regarding uh, spending when it comes to defense spending and, you know, giving our share to NATO. Uh, but how do we plan on addressing the feds and just how far off the mark are we? So we're about $18 billion a year from spending what we would need to to hit 2% of our GDP. So we are significantly off the mark when it comes to defense spending. And it's, it's not new. You're right. In fact, I don't think Canada's ever hit uh, 2% in, in modern times with NATO. Uh, but that was an agreed-upon target that first came out at a meeting in Wales. And it's been reaffirmed since NATO countries after that. A number of NATO countries, by the way, do actually spend 2%. It's not like you have a situation where it's only the United States. But Canada has never come close. And that happened under both conservative and liberal governments. And in addition to that, we've been criticized by that, um, by the Obama government, uh, by the Trump government, and of course now by the Biden government. I think Biden is probably publicly the least confrontational about it. But uh, there's certainly feelings when you speak to senior Americans that they are unhappy with our defense spending and they would like to see that change. Now, the government keeps saying that they're going to change it. They point to all the defense spending they've done so far. The problem is all that defense spending so far still leaves you $18 billion a year short. Um, And I don't think we're really going to have a sense of how serious they are about this until the budget. The big challenge here is that politically, defense spending doesn't tend to win win elections. And and that's frustrating for folks in the military and for those who are worried about defense because, well, it doesn't win an election. It does buy you a seat at the table internationally, but a lot of politicians don't want to go heavy on defense. And think for just a moment how much you've heard, for example, from Pierre Polyev about this. Has he given you a number of how much money he wants to spend compared to the Liberals? Uh, So that tells you that, you know, they're more likely to deal with things like housing um, that are front of people's minds mm-hmm. versus defense, which is important, but may not get you ticked on that ballot. And just in case anybody's ears were dirty, you said billions with a B. Uh, on, billions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on uh, the West Block, you were chatting with retired General Rick Hillier, former chief of defense staff. What, what were his thoughts on Canada's role and in particular in supporting Ukraine and the refugee crisis? So Rick Hillier is involved in something called the Strategic Advisory Council, and basically they help the Ukrainian government uh, and the Ukrainian military with advice and advocate for them. He says that the war has really never been in a more precarious moment than it is right now. 
uh, and you know listeners may have heard about this that there's been um, a really tenuous situation around a lot of the front lines where the Russians are able to just continue throwing people into this war and using it essentially as a meat grinder uh, because the Russian government can do whatever it wants and it controls the information flow. The Ukrainian government, a much smaller country, relying on volunteers, and at the end of the day, it's a democracy, so people can be voted out. They don't have the same capabilities. And he says that uh, without more support, there is a serious possibility that Ukraine could lose and that there would be consequences for that because he says, look, people question the money being sent to Ukraine, the support being sent to Ukraine. <clears throat> he does not believe Russia would stop there. And if Russia were to attack a NATO country, you would then be in the Third World War. Very interesting. Uh, General Hellier also emphasized the need to improve our Canadian armed forces. Which areas did he focus on, Mercedes? <laughs> All of them. <laughs> <laughs> Literally all of them. Uh, we need air defense systems for the Army. We need ships faster. Uh, the ships that we have now are struggling to even get out of harbor because they're so old that there are mechanical failures on them constantly. Uh, on the Air Force, we need those F-35s. They are not scheduled to come in for years. And whether or not people like them, there has to be some kind of a replacement jet for Canada to be able to do its job. And while the Liberals have launched uh, a number of procurements, they're very... Low. And, and these are things that were not sort of optional to launch. We've had to, to do basic defense. In Canada, it still takes an average of 10 years, like one zero, 10 years, a decade, to get a project for procurement. Oh, wow. So uh, that does not include then the building it and the getting it and the bringing it online. Um, so anything that they're starting to buy now could be 10 years out. And when you're dealing with equipment that's already quite old, that's problematic. But the bigger problem, honestly, at this point is personnel. And he talked about that, too. They're so short that it's difficult to train new people coming in because there's so few senior people with experience to train them, and they have to deploy all the time. So this is a, a real challenge that the Canadian Forces is grappling with. I know we only have a, a little bit, maybe a minute or so, but you know, the most pressing national security issues facing Canada today, what, what do you think and what does Hillier think they are? Hillier says that it's Canada's irrelevance. He says that's the biggest national security threat, that the failure to spend on defense has resulted in other countries not taking us seriously and that we won't have the influence uh, that Canada used to in terms of the global stage. Um, what I keep hearing from national security sources right now is that they've never seen a national security matrix that looks like this. There are so many credible threats at the same time that forces like the RCMP, CSIS, our intelligence agency, and the Canadian Armed Forces are struggling to keep up. Whether you're talking about natural disasters that have to be dealt with, which for, are, are a form of threat, right, to people's lives, uh, or China and Russia, or you're talking about the activation of terrorist groups, whether they are those uh, who are supporting attacks against uh, Jewish Canadians, anti-Semitism levels and, and hate crimes are being recorded at extraordinarily high levels, or whether you're talking about the extreme right, like Adam Waffen, uh, a group that wants to go and shoot up mosques. It's sort of across the board, and there's a really difficult task uh, ahead of the RCMP in particular. And if, if you watch their website, you'll notice that there are uh, an extraordinary number of national security terror charges that are popping up on there. Very busy times. Uh, thank you for your time this morning, Mercedes. We appreciate it. Thank you. Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. 
Alberta's UCP government announcing it plans to opt out of the National Pharmacare Program, the proposed program, due to a lack of consultation from the federal government. So what's the underlying impact of a pharmacare program? Why is free prescription contraception particularly a critical part of this proposed program? Joining us to talk about it is Melina Albanese, who is a PhD candidate of epidemiology at the Dalalana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. Hi, Melina. Thanks so much for joining us. Hi, thanks for inviting me. It's great to be here. When you heard about this potential National Pharmacare program, what were your first thoughts about it? Well, I was very excited. Um, we've been waiting for this draft legislation, uh, which was just announced by the Liberal government and the NDP party uh, for quite a while. And this really will set the framework um, for Canada's National Pharmacare program. Why is free prescription contraception vital within a national pharmacare program for our nation? Why is that specifically so important? That's a very great question. So cost is a very important barrier to accessing highly effective contraception for Canadians. We know a substantial number of Canadians at risk of unintended, meaning um, either unwanted or mistimed at the time of conception of an intended pregnancy, they do not consistently use contraception. And this is particularly true among those with, lo with lower income. Uh, we see this reflected in the data um, that show about 40% of pregnancies in Canada are not planned at the time of conception or they're mistimed. And we also know one in three women in Canada have an induced abortion in their lifetime. However, highly effective forms of contraception, for example, birth control pills or intrauterine devices or IUDs, these tend to be the most expensive. And so it's really important that Canada's pharmacare program include universal coverage for prescription as well as emergency contraception in order to decrease the rate of unplanned or unintended pregnancies in the country. Melina, we had and heard from um, our uh, our provincial uh, person in charge of health care here in Alberta, uh, saying yesterday, Adriana LaGrange, saying the vast majority of Albertans already have access to drug coverage, which the experts seem to really disagree with because there's nothing to back up that statement. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, in terms of providing contraception versus someone having an unplanned pregnancy, sort of, you know, the differences in, in costs between those two things? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So we know that the cost of managing unintended pregnancies is far greater than the cost of providing um, prescription or highly effective forms of contraception that would prevent these pregnancies from occurring. And there is a recent report uh, within the last uh, few years out of British Columbia that actually found uh, that after about the second year of implementing um, universal contraception coverage. So in BC right now, uh, contraception is free for all residents. And they, this report found that after about two years, the cost would neutralize. And the province would actually see a decrease in spending um, after about four years. So really preventing these unintended pregnancies is more cost effective um, than not providing the universal contraception coverage for all residents. On the other side, when we talk about just the concept of free contraception, how does providing free contraception address disparities? I'm thinking maybe socioeconomic disparities among different populations, Melina. Yeah, so we know that um, those lower in Canadians with lower incomes 
uh, often have a harder time accessing contraception and are less likely to have private um, insurance for prescription contraception options. Um, another population that uh, we see lower use of contraception as well as decreased access is youth. And so providing universal coverage through a national pharma care plan will not only reduce one, this uh, cost-related barrier to accessing contraception, as has been demonstrated uh, through numerous studies uh, showing that actually women do choose to use more effective contraception when we remove that cost barrier. But when we think about populations such as youth who may have to currently access contraception, um, say through a parent's uh, private insurance plan, they may actually want some privacy um, and not necessarily want to go through their parents' plan. And so providing universal access through Canada's National Pharmacare Program may afford youth um, this, this sort of privacy and access mm-hmm. to contraception as well. Melina, based on your research, your expertise in this area, what recommendations might you have for policymakers or thoughts on, on accepting or not accepting this national plan? I think that policymakers should be excited about this and I would encourage um, you know, all provinces and territories to be on board with this plan. I think it's a great opportunity to um, realize Uh, the right to reproductive health and bodily autonomy for all Canadians. And I think that um, we don't know the full details of Canada's Pharmacare program at this point. However, it's very important that contraception be uh, provided free to all Canadians um, with minimal barriers for accessing, as well as providing several options for contraception, um, which from current reports we do... Uh, seem to see that several types of contraception uh, will be provided through the pharmacare coverage, um, which means that uh, women will really have the right to choose what works best for them. So that's very important that we see that um, in this plan. Thanks for bringing your thoughts and your research on this topic. Thank you so much for joining us, Melina. Appreciate it. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks. Melina Albanese is a PhD candidate in epidemiology at the Dalalana School of Public Health at the U of T. Well, all of a sudden, Canadians have fewer options when it comes to flights, as Lynx Airlines has been permanently grounded. Joining us to discuss the impact on the Canadian aviation industry is the travel lady, Leslie Cater. Good morning to you, Leslie. Good morning, Andy. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's break this down. Lynx Air had quite a short run. Can you tell us about, you know, how long they've been around for and, and what went wrong? Oh, gosh. You know, they, they were so short-lived. Started off with, with such great expectations and uh, just folded and apparently owe millions all round. So it, it's very disappointing for them. It's disappointing for the consumer. But honestly, it's not surprising because we've got a long history of small airlines coming in, trying to break through in Canada, and it's a really tough job. Uh, so, I mean, obviously, there's a lot, probably a lot we don't have the time to get into it, but wh- why would, a, like, a WestJet, for example, be able to make it, and a Lynx Air and, and so many others not? Well, WestJet has got the depth of being going for so much longer. Um, having those slots at the major airports, their airfares obviously were higher than Lynx. So all of these low-cost carriers come in saying they're going to be able to beat WestJet and Air Canada. And you know that WestJet and Air Canada flights are pretty much 
the same. You know, they watch each other all the time. So we, we really do have a lack of competition here in Canada. But it's more complicated than that because we have vast geographical distances to cover. We're not like Europe where we can have short flights between major hubs. It, it's a whole different ball game here. And it, it's a shame to see it go down. But uh, there you go. Another one bites the dust. We've, we've talked about the business angle, uh, you know, the history and, you know, where are we going from here with Air Canada stepping up and helping out. And like you say, we have so much competition in that smaller sector, but uh, none of that matters if you have tickets in your possession for Lynx Air. So where do you mm. go if you've purchased a ticket uh, to fly Lynx uh, in, uh, on uh, January 20, uh, sorry, February 27th? Where do we go from here? Right. Well, your only recourse, obviously, is to call your credit card company and repudiate the payment. Uh, and, of course, that's created a problem because people are on hold for hours, mm -hmm. so much so that many of the banks like RBC, CIBC, have actually got a link at the bottom of their website if you go on there and it says you know if you're calling about this click here you know we'll get back to you in a couple of weeks so there's not going to be an instant refund situation there so that's hard for people who've laid out cash and now they have to book another flight Leslie, so, you know, kind of overall, what does it mean for the travel industry in Canada then? Does it give us a black eye outside of this country or is it just, you know, another disappointment for us who live within the borders? I think it's more a disappointment for, for us Canadians who live here uh, because I don't think an outsider would come into Canada and start booking really unknown low budget uh, airfares. I mean, I don't go into Europe to buy uh, some of their Ryanair and, and things like that just because I want the comfort of knowing that I'm booking with a big name that's got a solid reputation and lots of planes, lots of staff. And even with that, we know that we've had our problems in the past with shortages of crew and, and those sort of things. So I, th I think it's, it's complicated in Canada. Uh, right now, we've got air Canada, we've got WestJet. Porter seems to be doing a pretty mm -hmm. good job, but they're not putting themselves out there as as a discount airline. It's more about the comfort. Uh, but, but how much of a presence, because I, I see these incredible ads up the you know, free Wi-Fi, free beverages on Porter, for example. How mm -hmm. much of a presence is that airline in Calgary or Alberta, for that matter, at this point? Well, not really, but they need to expand their reach, you see. So as they get more and more um, airports, and that's another problem as well in Canada is our major cities don't really have s many secondary airports where these uh, other aircraft can fly into and get flying rights. So they're competing against Air Canada and WestJet and of course all the foreign uh, aircraft, Lufthansa and, and KLM and all the rest of them for spaces at the airport. So yeah, it's, it's a tough business to be in. Sometimes it's best to just book with the pros, <laughs> Leslie. We'll send folks to your website for more information. And you okay. always are, are available and willing to answer questions, right? So yeah, absolutely. we'll send yeah. folks to thetravellady.ca and uh, at thetravellady. Leslie Cater is a travel lady. Thank you, as always. Appreciate your time. No problem at all. Have a good day.